Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Twenty twenty two marks fifty years since the launch of Weekend World, the flagship Sunday political programme which paved the way for everyone that followed. It kick-started a broadcasting arms race, which meant that often what happened on the Sunday sofa became more important than what happened in the Houses of Parliament. This is the story of how political and journalistic careers were made and broken, even how elections were won and lost. We've brought you the memories of presenters and producers, Prime Ministers and press officers. Last week, Andrew Marr explained why he walked away from the Sunday sofa. So I've been doing this job for 16, I think nearly 17 years, every Sunday. And nobody should do a job like this for that long. I mean, I've done it for longer by far than David Frost did it. Um, I don't think anyone's done it this long. And I don't want to be a professional journalistic bed blocker. You know, there's lots of other really, really great people, really good people inside the BBC and outside the BBC who would love to have a crack at it. This week, the first woman to get her name up in lights after half a century of Men in the Morning, Sophie Ridge on Sunday. Hello and good afternoon. Welcome. Good morning. Hello and welcome. Good morning. A massive debate of about 20, 20, 25 hash browns. At no point were we talking. Where's this come from? I realised at that point that Something had gone down. As soon as I saw it, I was like, absolute jackpot. As the Sunday political show, as we know, it was born in 1972 with Weekend World. It would take 45 years before a show was launched with a woman asking the questions. And Sophie Ridge had an unconventional route into politics and is perhaps all the better for it. I wouldn't say that it is the traditional route. <laughs> you know, you're going to be talking to all these people like, you know, Andrew Marr and Adam Bolton, who've probably been steeped in these kind of politics from as soon as they left the womb. I started out as a showbiz journalist on News of the World, so it was pretty different, I'll be honest. From there, she joined the newspaper's political team and then became a political reporter for Sky News. Then, in 2016, she got a call saying she was going to take over the Sunday show slot from Dermot Murnahan, a man almost twice her age. While some women had gone before, Joe Coburn and Sarah Smith on the BBC's Sunday Politics, at the age of 32, Ridge would be the first woman to launch her own flagship Sunday show. I mean, it was a bit of a punt, I think, at the time. It is a bit like having your own train set. It's, it's just festival. It's so much fun. In late 2016, with Theresa May riding high in the polls, Ridge and the head of politics at Sky News, Esme Wren, went to pitch the idea of the new show to Number 10. So we talked a lot about getting out of London and, and 
the different ethos of the show. I knew Theresa May a little bit and it, yeah, it took a lot of persuading, but as always with these things, it's right at the last minute that they confirm. So we were panicking because we didn't really have any government guests confirmed. We didn't know if they were going to confirm. We were like, at what point do we start ringing random backbenchers? Maybe we don't need politicians. Maybe it's a new political show and we can just, you know, talk to people in Sunderland or something. So yeah, it was a bit nerve wracking um, until yeah the, the confirmation came in that she was going to do it. It was a huge deal in media and political circles that Number 10 was not giving the first big interview of the year to the BBC, a tradition enjoyed by Andrew Marr and David Foss before him. Instead, Theresa May decided to give a boost to the new kid on the block. The interview itself covered Brexit in some depth, the economy, you know, the usual. And then at the end, Ridge asked May about Donald Trump, who was expected to visit the UK that year. Obviously, you don't know how someone's going to react to that. So it does make sense to put it at the end of the interview from that perspective as well, just in case they shut down or, or, or react to it in a, in a negative way. And this was the question that Ridge saved till last. Donald Trump tweeted last night that he's looking forward to meeting you next month. And I'm just very interested to know your feelings before that meeting, bearing in mind some of the things that Donald Trump said about women. Now, I'll probably feel slightly awkward reading this out, but I do think it's important to rehear what Donald Trump was recorded saying in the past, which is about women. When you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Grab them by the pussy. I mean, forgetting the fact that you're prime minister for a moment, how does that make you feel as a woman? May was inscrutable as ever as Ridge spoke and was expressionless as she answered the question. Well, look, I think that's unacceptable. But in fact, Donald Trump himself has said that and has apologised for it. But the relationship that the UK has with the United States is about something much bigger than just the relationship between the two individuals as president and prime minister. That's important. I mean, I really wanted to do it. I, I really wanted to say the full quote on air. And the reason I wanted to do it is because I think... If you start skirting around it, which is what everyone does on broadcast, Donald Trump made some vulgar comments about women. He said some offensive things about women. No one knows what you're talking about. And I don't think you really get a sense of the violence of the quote that Donald Trump said to grab them by the pussy. I mean, that is a that is a quite violent language for a head of state to be using. Right. And that's why it's quite shocking. And I don't think you get to that unless you say the quote. It does feel a bit awkward saying that in front of the Prime Minister, but I, at no point did I feel, I guess, embarrassed or like I wasn't sure that I wanted to say it. She just kept totally stony-faced the whole way through. Very Theresa May. She didn't flinch. She didn't break her game. And I thought she answered it pretty well, saying it was unacceptable. So at that point, I thought it was going to be OK. But then, um, yeah, we left the studio and... Um, they weren't very happy with us, I'll be honest. <laughs> Behind the scenes, all hell was breaking loose. By the time the first edition of Sophie Ridge on Sunday had wrapped up, May had left the building, but her advisers were apoplectic. I realised at that point that something had gone down, basically. I don't think from Theresa May, but I think from the advisers around her were really unhappy. And as a result, we then didn't get any government ministers for quite some time afterwards. They just pulled them completely from the show because of that quote you read out so they were they were angry to be, to be honest it was a setback after sky news spent years trying to get westminster's a-list it's only very recently well relatively recently in the history of sunday morning programming at sky that we've got equivalent guests to andrew ma that certainly wasn't the case previous to me having a show and for a long time for the show it wasn't the case either so we've always had to work hard to guests. some of this meant looking beyond the main parties to smaller outfits like ukip in March 2017, Paul Nuttall, then UKIP leader, 
was facing criticism for errors in his CV and for a false claim that he'd been at the Hillsborough disaster in 1989. It was all a bit strange. We weren't really sure if he'd been there or not. And so I was pressing him on the detail of that. And then he just comes up with the immortal line. You know, I didn't lie about weapons of mass destruction. I didn't send anyone into an illegal war. I didn't say anything racist. I've never been caught in a paedophile gang or anything. I just remember stopping and thinking, hang on a minute. This is no point where we're talking. Where's this come from? I've never been caught in a paedophile gang or anything. Um, So I think sometimes it is, you know, the interviews that you don't necessarily expect that become some of the interviews that uh, are the most entertaining or the ones that you enjoy doing the most. Life at Sky News is all a long way from the silver cloches and cigars that David Foss used to have at his famous breakfasts at the BBC, where champagne would flow as guests enjoyed a full English. Have quite specific breakfast requirements before the show. So before the show, we, we have a, a little, um, like a trolley with some coffees and, you know, some fruit on there um, and a massive plate of about 20, 25 hash browns because I have a real, real craving for hash browns in the morning. So I basically just have three coffees, three hash browns and that's me. That's me done. For a while, Ridge had to get up earlier for a hash browns. In 2018, Andrew Marr, then the doyen of Sunday shows, posted a tweet that he thought was a private message. <laughs> Hi Sophie, Andrew here. Just to let you know, they are changing the time of my show to 10am. It's a management thing based on their reading of the football audience. Nothing to do with us and absolutely not meant to be rolling onto your lawn. He quickly deleted it, but it was true. Ma was moving later to 10am, clashing with Ridge. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, absolute jackpot. <laughs> you know, <laughs> This means we can take the 9am slot. And, and of course, Sky being a sky, they move very quickly to do that. And then I think the BBC quickly realised that there is a real prize in going first because the, the pickup that we were getting immediately improved um, and, and they had to follow us, which, which doesn't look so great for them. So, you know, I got another very nice sort of message saying, that, um, you know, I'm very sorry, we're moving back to nine. And then we had a problem. We were like, oh, well, we can either go head to head against Andrew Marr at the BBC One at 9am or we go back to 10am, which isn't so great. And then we thought, well, maybe there is another way here. And the sort of slightly mischievous <laughs> um, side of us was, we could actually go to 8.30. It's not too early, 8.30 on a Sunday morning. And again, you get the bite of the cherry first. Ma himself admits he was unhappy with the change. I thought it was a mistake to move the time of the programme. It was something to do with football and, and schedulers and clever people in offices. But I thought this is the time that people are accustomed to us. They turn their television on for us in, in very large numbers. And if we suddenly vanish, they'll go somewhere else, which they did. We lost a lot of viewers by changing the time. And when we moved back, we got some of them, but not all of them back again. So I think probably we handed Sky quite a big coup then. Viewers at home, even the well-known ones, were torn. This is former Labour leader Neil Kinnock. Andrew is damn good. He's been a journalist for many decades. He's been around the block 50 times. He also is an effective interrogator. But Sophie Ridge has got an edge, which I think probably suits the 21st century a bit more than the relatively staid performance of those who have gone before her. Mar is also complimentary about his former competitor. In Sophie Ridge's show... Both with Sophie and with Trevor, um, we have one of the most professional and effective rivals we've ever had. Trevor, of course, is Sir Trevor Phillips. He hosted Sky News' flagship show last year while Ridge was on maternity leave with her second child. 
He became the first person of colour to host a major Sunday political show. He began his career as a producer on Weekend World, later appeared as a guest on Sunday shows as a wannabe politician and then chairman of the Human Rights Commission. All that experience led to him having firm views on how he approached being a presenter. Where people make interviewers make a great mistake is when they start to think that the reviews of their performance are the important thing. And those reviews tend to be about the clash of personalities and the strength with which you have dealt with somebody. Actually, most viewers could not give a sod about whether I am smarter than my interviewee or not. I could be a tin of corned beef asking the questions as long as the right questions are asked and you don't allow the the person not to answer the question. At times, this has got personal twice after becoming exasperated with cabinet ministers Brandon Lewis and Oliver Dowden. Phillips choked back tears as he shared his own experience of his daughter, Shoshila, dying from anorexia last year, while sticking to the spirit and the letter of coronavirus rules which were being flouted at number 10 parties. At that dinner, I get a call. My daughter's collapsed and, as you will know, for months she'd, you know, she'd been isolated, she was ill. By the following morning... She had died and she had stuck to the spirit and letter of the rules. Now, there are going to be thousands of people who have that story in their background. And if I may say so, you are in here telling me about a civil servant's inquiry. That will not answer that anger. What is, does the Prime Minister really understand why people are angry? Well, first of all, Shah, I know how much you have suffered during this period, and I know how much so many people... Philip says he really hated getting so personal, but had become exasperated by the cold responses he was getting. I knew that if a moment came where I had to deal with that topic, I knew that I would not be able to get the words out in the right way. So I went away on the Saturday afternoon, in both cases, and wrote down what I would ask, cleared it with my editor and put it on a separate piece of paper because my instinct is never to bring yourself into the thing in that degree, except that in both of those cases, I got to the stage during the interview because of the nature of the issue. I mean, this is about people's tragedies. I got to the stage in the interview where I thought, if I do not do this, I'm not doing my job. The second time that I asked, I really hated having to do it. I really hate. And the reason was because the person I was interviewing, Oliver Dalton, is a very decent man. I knew how it would make him feel to be asked that question. But I thought it was absolutely essential. And I'm, and I'm going to be really, really honest here, which I shouldn't be, but I will be. The thing that made me ask that question in the end was not actually the obvious issue about the tragedies and the hypocrisy, but the fact that I've been sitting talking to a politician who I know to be a decent, honourable person who was having to defend people who I feel have lost their souls. I mean, you know, I'm not encouraging people to kind of weep all over the airways, but every now and again, we're journalists, you know, that's part of what we do. We bring our experience and our knowledge and what we've seen, what we felt to try to create a deeper understanding. Having been on the receiving end of Sunday morning grillings, Phillips has, if not sympathy for politicians, an understanding of what politics is really all about. Politics is not about right and wrong. It is never about 
the good versus the bad. Only idiots and uh, tribalists think that. Anybody who knows anything about politics knows that the re- you know, if, if there's good and bad, what, who's going to choose the bad? Everybody choose, would choose good. All politics is always about a choice between the bad and the worse. And the real issue is working out which is bad and which is the worse. That's what all of these arguments are always about. And that's what these Sunday morning interviews should be doing. This is the Sunday shows at 50. Still to come, as the series ends, we look at what the future might hold for the next half century of political programming. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This is The Sunday Shows at 50. During the series, we've looked back on the evolution of the British political programme, starting with Weekend World, then Breakfast with Frost, On the Record, the extraordinary explosion of shows in the mid-noughties, and Andrew Marr's rivalry with Sophie Ridge. But as Laura Koonsberg prepares to replace Marr on BBC One from September, and Andrew Neil gears up to launch a Sunday evening show on Channel 4, what is the future for the Sunday political show? In a multi-channel world where the number of viewers tuning in live may be dwarfed by those who catch clips online later, and in a multi-fact world where politicians choose their own reality, have the Sunday shows lost their edge? Do they still hold our political leaders to account like they used to? Peter Mandelson's career spans almost the entirety of this series. I started off as a researcher on Weekend World and then became uh, a producer. So in a sense, I've been on quite a journey from the beginning of the 1980s you know, from the cerebral heights of Weekend World with its, you know, near half-hour analyses and equally long in-depth interviews to the more sort of condensed three-minute culture that emerged by the end of that decade when I was director of campaigns and communications for the for the Labour Party, you know, to the even shorter sound bites beyond that when I was a new Labour uh, minister. And everything has become not more shallow, but certainly more condensed. John Humphreys, who is host of On The Record, would sometimes dedicate a whole hour-long programme to one guest, thinks the long-form interview still has its place in politics, even without big audiences. The broadcasters, the big bosses, decided it's, uh, we, we simply can't subject the audience to that kind of punishment. I think they're wrong. I think, it's, I think we need 
long-form political interviews uh, still, in fact, perhaps more than ever. TV bosses claim that the audiences don't want long-form interviews anymore. William Hague says that's a mistake and thinks that far from something to avoid, it could be good for politicians. The thing is, you see more of their strengths and their weaknesses, you know. And so what would happen with Boris on that? Well, you would see that probably wouldn't have read the detail on every subject area in his entire cabinet. On the other hand, you'd find a very convivial, intelligent person engaging with everything. Just as we used to see when when Robin Day or Brian Walden were interrogating Margaret Thatcher for 50 minutes. Well, you really came to a well-informed view of Margaret Thatcher. You know, that um, she was very pedantic and argumentative. But on the other hand, you saw what made her tick. You saw that she was pretty tough. Jonathan Dimbleby, who presented the BBC's On The Record and his own eponymous show on ITV, agrees. It's a matter of huge regret, or it should be, that the modest amount of money that would be needed to finance a programme like that is simply not happening. For former Labour leader Neil Kinnock, there was no question of dodging the Sunday sofa. The idea that political parties or individuals can refuse to appear before the public uh, on the Sunday morning shows is, in my view, absurd. And, as I indicate, disgusting. Tony Blair believes there was a responsibility to explain yourself to the nation. One of the things that's, that's most difficult when you leave the political stage and I've said this to a lot of political leaders you know, as they're leaving, is you're no longer the first person in front of the mic. You know, so other people interpret what you've done or what you say. Whereas the one thing you've got when you are in power or in a position in frontline politics is that microphone's available to you. So use it and go and speak to people. And when you've got a complicated, difficult thing you're trying to get across to people, it's better to be put under the cosh. Because at least they can see, you know, you're struggling with the issue, you understand it's difficult, you're trying to communicate. Adam Bolton, who spent decades on Sky News, says part of the problem is that Sunday shows are now one of the few ways that journalists get to interact with politicians. I did one for 17 years and I sort of felt it was a bit like knocking my head against a brick wall, to be honest. I don't think they've ever taken in the culture in the way that they they did in the United States with Meet the Press, Face face the Nation, uh, This Week, State of the Union, all of that. I mean, it's still like that in America now, although increasingly the same person does a tour of the programmes. The kind of format is not the format which used to relax people. It's not the format which used to go into things in detail. It's become a bit more ritualistic. Let's not get carried away, though. There was perhaps no golden age where politicians submitted themselves to endless interrogation and always answered the question. Here's Andrew Marr. I think there's a lot of false memory syndrome. People look back to the Blair government or the Brown government, um, or indeed the major government, as being populated by Athenian, Demosthenes-style brilliant orators and, and deep philosophers and people with huge war experience and practical knowledge. And with the greatest of respect to all of them, it wasn't quite like that. We didn't feel quite like that at the time. And Sky's Sophie Ridge thinks there's still life in the Sunday show yet. You know, it's one of the most watched programmes at Sky. And also, I think, in terms of pick-up from the newspapers, but also on radio, you know, our clips are sometimes played on BBC as well and on social media. I think that's how people are, you know, increasingly consuming the news anyway. So I like to think that actually there's quite a lot of eyeballs on the interviews that we do. 
Is it now all about social media? About the ultra-short clip which makes a 1990s-style soundbite seem substantial by comparison? Jeremy Vine has a confession. I, I basically pick it all up off social media, I'm afraid. We're all, I suppose, we're just looking for that moment where something goes off the rails in some other yeah. way, in some other place, you know. And, and, and now there are all kinds of other outlets. So as Laura Koonsberg and the BBC seek once again to reinvent a format which has changed and yet not changed so much in 50 years... A reminder that almost everything has been done before. For the one-time presenter of GMTV's Sunday programme, Steve Richards. Well, while I was doing the Sunday programme, I got a call from Channel 4 saying, uh, we're very interested in you taking part in a new political programme we're thinking about uh, doing on Channel 4. I said, oh, yeah, great. So, yeah, you know, we're going to go out of London. I said, well, OK. I started to get a bit worried at this point, not because I'm anti going out of London, but it's just difficult with the political interview. And then they said, yeah, so uh, well, can we, well, let's meet for lunch. And I said, yeah, great. And they said, just one question. Do you ride a horse? And I said, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> and they said, well, the idea is uh, that you would be on horseback going around the country, interviewing people. You would park your horse somewhere and stop off. But this would be the great metaphor of being out of Westminster. At which point I lost the gig. I've never been on a horse in my life. But I didn't realise that I'd ever have a conversation about political interviews and the key qualification was whether you could ride a horse or not. So later this year, almost 50 years to the day since Weekend World launched, it'll be Laura Koonsberg in the saddle, entering the race against Sophie Ridge for the best guests and the biggest news lines. The story of the Sunday shows continues. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.